Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. I have no idea when uh, people who listen to this show will listen to it. Um, so, uh, hello to whoever does hear this show. Uh, let me say, for those who have been following this show, and there's been a small number of people following uh, this program, it's almost two years now, it's over two years I think I've been doing this, on a sporadic basis. Uh, this is going to be my last show for a while. Not that uh, it'll be my last show, but for a while I think it will be. Um, what I have to say today is kind of depressing to me, and I think depressing to anybody who listens to it. Um, and since I can't really find any uh, bright, optimistic way of ending this show or uh, adding to the show, uh, which is entitled A Story About the Death of American Democracy, um, I really feel it doesn't pay for me uh, to continue to speak. Um, I don't see a, a way out of the current morass that I'm going to describe and talk about today. Uh, uh, I, I see things going in a very, very bad direction on a whole variety of levels not just in the United States, but in large sections of the world as well. And I don't think I'm alone in this. The problem is getting people to admit that there's a problem and then in a concerted way uh, demand of our government or governments everywhere uh, that they do what they're supposed to do, and that is lead in a positive direction uh, and help uh, lead us, uh, uh, call upon us, uh, to do what is necessary to restore some semblance of democracy in the United States, um, uh, export that democracy in, in fair and reasonable ways around the world, um, and I'll describe what I think are the elements of that in a second. And so um, since I really can't be positive today, uh, I'm going to not do a show until I feel I can be positive um, I don't think that the impact of this show uh, is great, and I think you know it probably is my fault in some sense uh, that I don't do anything but sort of uh, warn, and and uh, I don't provide what I think uh, would be necessary uh, again to get us out of the position that we're all in, uh, and I think we're all in it together which is part of the problem because most people don't see the all-in-together part. In any event, let me tell you a little story. Um, as I understand it in terms of the history of this country on a psychological and a sociological and a political level, uh, the other thing is I, I, I don't want to uh, talk about um, personal difficulties that people have and psychotherapy because I think that uh, that's part of the problem in the death of democracy, I've written about that, and I'll speak about it again today. Um, I think that the problems that people are suffering with in many cases today uh, are, are created on a large level, uh, on a large political, social, economic uh, level. And uh, talking about mini-psychology, talking about the individual um, who has been lost in the story uh, really is not going to help. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to help any longer, you know, how to help yourself feel better. 
people make money out of that, but I think that the problem is much deeper and graver than that. So, when this country was founded, uh, it was really quite a miraculous, and I mean that not in a theological sense, but in, that the odds were really against it, that the group of individual who wrote the doctrines and led this country in its earliest years, uh, Washington, Jefferson, Madison, um, Franklin, these individuals were a rare breed. Um, they understood that uh, life was intolerable in a dictatorship, uh, that the power of those above that dehumanized uh, those below that took their money, that uh, forced others to work, uh, that uh, saw themselves as innately superior because of breeding or because of God or religion or whatever, was intolerable. They understood that. And they didn't uh, uh, want to recreate a republic or recreate a society that would simply go the way of the society uh, that they were breaking away from, which was uh, Great Britain or England at the time, and uh, with its monarchy and its uh, very rigid social class system uh, and its great poverty below and the uh, endless injustices of that kind of stratified society. These individuals, the, the men who, who led the revolution, um, were, were a rare lot in a variety of ways. One, they were tremendously well-educated. They were very well-read. They uh, were religious. I think they all believed in God, uh, but in a very urbane, cosmopolitan way. There was nothing uh, uh, in most of them that was really limited or bigoted. They had a very wide view of human beings. They took for granted, I think, that human beings, uh, all human beings, had a soul. And I've spoken about that recently. I don't believe in a religious soul. I don't believe in a theological soul or an immortal soul. But I do believe that unless every human being feels there's something really special, uh, innately uh, uh, precious about them and every other human being, uh, as part of the image that they live with, and that the image that they create in terms of politics and economics, things go wrong. And these individuals, I think, took for granted that there was a soul. Secondly, they took for granted that if we had a citizenry that established a democracy, they would have to be well-educated individuals who understood the common bonds and the common needs and the common goals that everybody in that society had. They understood, I think, human nature in terms of greed and, and, and uh, self-interest, but they also saw that uh, human beings were capable of rising above individual desires and individual needs and were quite capable, uh, if led, if directed, if educated, into seeing that self-interest in many cases, was best served by serving others. And that is an incredibly important point. It comes through the Judeo-Christian ethic, 
uh, it comes through in many philosophies, that if we depend upon each other uh, for survival, then to some degree we must help everybody survive and everybody develop. If we're to be creative, it must not be just an individual effort, but an individual effort in concert with a variety of others who are equally creative. And I've always defined creativity as, as doing something new, something unusual, but that benefits large numbers of people. It communicates to large numbers of people. It's not simply psychosis, which is creativity that is directed only towards the preservation of the individual who is psychotic. So they understood this, I think. They understood that to have a democracy, they would have to rise above, to some degree, individual need and greed. And all human beings were equal in their need to be human beings. Uh, the most incredible doctrine, the Declaration of Independence, written out by Thomas Jefferson. And it's wonderful to think about Jefferson, who owned slaves when he did this. He never did free his slaves. The, the kind of hypocrisy, the struggle that went on in the minds of these very broad-minded individuals. When Jefferson then wrote, all men, and I think today, if it were written, all human beings, because it has to include women, it has to include everybody, uh, are created equal and endowed with certain inalienable rights, among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Interestingly, too, the Founding Fathers fought for a while and argued for a while that the third thing should be uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of property. But they decided uh, that it was better in the interest of the society that happiness uh, was, was what was to be sought. And I think there was wisdom in that. So you had this incredible doctrine led by uh, individuals who were extremely well-educated, and most of whom were farmers. Uh, there weren't many lawyers among them. And their great fear, if we read the record, was that we would have a permanent set of leaders uh, who were lawyers, uh, who were, whose interest, only interest was getting reelected. Um, they believed, and I believed, I believe, that the leaders should experience work that they should not lead for very long periods of time. Yes, it's true, we need continuity, uh, but that's a problem that can be solved in a variety of ways. Uh, when I was in college, when I was teaching, um, I really felt that uh, the president of my college should have spent, let's say, six months, one semester every several years back in the classroom to keep uh, fresh uh, his view of education from the point of view of the student, to be in contact with the student. Um, I think that all professors and teachers should think of themselves as students, and uh, important that there always be uh, um, continuing education in their lives and a recognition that you're never as good as you can be. Uh, and this is true on every level, whether you're a, a senator or a president, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a psychotherapist, a psychiatrist, 
uh, an artisan of some type. Uh, you can always be better. And uh, while we're leading, while we're administering, uh, there has to be a, a refreshing of uh, the skills uh, that we left behind. Uh, if we're lawyers, then we have to practice law uh, and not just be senators and, and be in power. Uh, this was understood. It is no longer understood. What happened in this great republic is it became incredibly successful uh, on an economic level, on a military level, uh, on a creative level, to the degree that um, the vision of the founding fathers was in effect, that there was some uh, uh, movement towards uh, justice. There was a movement towards universal education. Um, but what has happened over the years, over the centuries, is several things. One, we became very big. And the leaders who lead us now, whether in powerful corporations, that I'll speak about in a moment, or in politics, uh, lose touch with those that they lead. There are too many levels of distance between those at the top and those at the bottom in the power structure. So we have become, uh, uh, in different ways than England that would be separated from, but we've become stratified. We are now a stratified culture in which those at the top see it as their right and their privilege to take whatever they want, whatever they need, whatever they desire, and uh, not put anything back or not worry about those at the bottom of the structure, those who are the weakest, the poorest. Um, there have always been philosophies that justify that. Uh, religion, God made the rich, uh, uh, and the rich prove that they are superior because they're rich. We now have the doctrine of, of genetics. Uh, the poor are genetically inferior, the mentally ill are genetically inferior, and therefore we really don't have to worry about doing something for them. It's beyond our ability and beyond theirs to do something to help themselves. So if we squash and if we step, it really isn't a kind of a problem. This is ordained by nature. It's ordained by religion. It's ordained by God. Um, and, and, and so we have a stratification. And in fact, at this point, the corporations that run America are so powerful and so rich and so international and not even particularly concerned just with the American uh, citizen or the American worker. Uh, they can move anywhere in the world and uh, seek out whatever they need in terms of resources and labor at whatever price they, uh, you know, that they, can, they can manage as the lowest common denominator. Um, and so what we have really is an oligarchy. An oligarchy is a political form, a kind of a dictatorship, in which uh, big business and small numbers of families, uh, what the great uh, uh, sociologist uh, C. Wright Mills many years ago, uh, 40, 50 years ago, called the power elite. Um, it's interesting that the Republican president, uh, Eisenhower, back in the 50s, warned against the military-industrial complex, which was the term he used. 
so that we really are a stratified society at this point in which the top uh, doesn't see the bottom. Uh, Secondly, we no longer really see each other as precious human beings with souls. That's gone. What we now have are really two kinds of, of overlapping and interlocking ideas. The first uh, is that we're all consumers and everything is a product, including human beings. We're all products to be bought, to be sold. Um, we are all consumables. We are uh, uh, marketable. Uh, we market ourselves. Uh, in this system of, of consumerism, there really is only one standard for success, and that is the amount of money you can make. And since those at the top don't see those at the bottom, um, the amount of money they can make to define themselves as superior is endless. And I think we're all caught up in that in one way or another. So that the idea of economic sharing, the idea of a tax structure that would spread wealth around, uh, if you've, anybody's been following this horrendous, ugly debate on health care, the idea that uh, the wealthiest of us, uh, and I'm closer to the wealthiest than I am to the poorest, uh, it's interesting, <laughs> I don't have what really wealthy people have, but I have, um, that, that we should be responsible economically for a health plan that makes us a right, uh, every individual, to be able to have uh, adequate health care if they get sick. Of course, there's a flip side to that, and that is, as our founding fathers saw it, we were all equal, but therefore equally responsible in making sure that the country ran as we wanted it to, that we didn't have a hierarchy because people took responsibility for their actions. I went to a football game yesterday, and while many of the young people, it was mostly young people there um, uh, at the Miami Dolphin Buffalo Bill game, uh, were sweet if you spoke to them, most of them were drunk. And large numbers of these individuals are obese. They, they, they don't look human anymore. Uh, they're so heavy. And so many of them were staggering drunk. Afterwards, we'd get into a car, many of them. I mean, they were all driving home. There was no mass transit here in Florida. And uh, put their lives and the lives of everybody around them at risk. Uh, that's irresponsible. Okay? So it is if these people don't see themselves as responsible and treat themselves with the same kind of contempt that it think gets internalized whenever people in a hierarchy are treated with contempt. And over the years that I've done this show and everything I've written, uh, when children are treated with contempt and disrespect, uh, they internalize that very often and then treat themselves the same way. The problem is that however we're treated, if we ought to see each other and ourselves as worthy of dignity and respect, then we have to hold ourselves and each other responsible. Part of my, my despair at this point 
is that those at the top of the economic system who are perpetrating what I consider just criminality uh, in the name of capitalism, in the name of profit, uh, are not being held responsible. And I don't see who there will be to hold them responsible because they're certainly not holding themselves responsible. Just today, there's an article in the New York Times about the Simmons Mattress Company and how this company has been bought and sold several times by equity investment groups that raked out huge amounts of profit for themselves and left the company in absolute shreds so that the workers and the stockholders and those who have pensions are now left uh, desperate and destitute. There is no one to hold these people responsible. And I get angry and I get depressed over it, but I don't see the government doing anything about it because the government is part of that. They're on the payroll. Um, maybe we're not an oligarchy. Maybe we're now a fascist state because fascist states uh, are those in which the, the, the goals of big business are identical to the goals of government. I'm not against business. I'm not against profits. I'm not against capitalism. But what we have now is not merely capitalism. What we now have is a kind of a system that's eating itself up. And the short-sightedness of those at the top, that somehow they will escape the general collapse of the culture, uh, I think is short-sighted. Uh, although maybe they will bail themselves out. Maybe they'll go live in Mexico or they'll go live in some other place. Uh, maybe they'll have gated communities. But uh, ultimately, these two uh, will collapse because there is nothing underneath but sand. Uh, drunk people, drug-addicted people, uh, people becoming increasingly desperate, sick, etc. The second uh, issue uh, related to the bigness and the idea that we're all uh, products to be bought and sold is the idea that we're all machines, that we're all a kind of a complex mechanical device. When my car wears out and it can't be fixed any longer, can't be tinkered with, I throw it away and buy a new one. Most of the machines that I buy, and we all buy today, uh, our iPods and all the technology that is so wondrous and marvelous, that makes life so interesting and different, that uh, uh, deflects us from uh, what really we might be looking at in terms of the problems that we have and the solutions that we need, um, these problems, they can't be fixed. You buy them, you keep them for a while, um, and you throw them away. I don't know if they're recycled, uh, but they get thrown away. We don't, we don't fix anything anymore. And if things get fixed, they're certainly not fixed in this country because we're no longer a nation of producers, of manufacturers, we are a nation of servers. We are a nation of consumers, not producers. The, the um, idea that we are machines comes really out of science in many ways. And I, those of who have followed my show know uh, how many times I have spoken about the move from uh, a view that human beings, when they're desperate, confused, and unhappy, are experiencing an existential crisis. What they're saying in one way or another is that I'm engaged in desperate behavior because I don't know what else to do. 
when they're overwhelmed with anxiety, when they're overwhelmed with uh, depression, uh, hopelessness, despair, self-hatred. These are existential conditions. All of these now are, are, are simply the machine has gone haywire. The brain has gone haywire. And some of the ugliest, most psychopathic of corporations are the big drug companies. And one should know that the big drug companies derive out of the big oil companies. Uh, they are part and parcel of the same kind of, of corporation, and many of the oil companies became uh, pharmaceutical companies. I'm not against pharmaceuticals. I control my blood pressure with pharmaceuticals and hope uh, that what they tell me about the side effects, the dangers of the drugs, are true and not false. But in any event, I'm not against that. What I'm against is this whole idea that when people are unhappy, and lots of people now are unhappy, when they're desperate, uh, when they're angry, uh, when they have existential crisis in their lives, brought about by the very ideas and the very stratification of the oligarchy in which we live, the very helplessness and self-hatred that destroys families, that brings families down, uh, that leaves children at the mercy of forces that those children can't understand uh, uh, when they are. The children are dehumanized and terrified. Uh, all of this is now to be seen as fixed with a pill, that the machine is to be fixed. And if not, thrown away. We'll get rid of these individuals. Let them sink to the bottom. Nothing can be done and nothing will be done. So what we have now is a system in which it's consuming the atmosphere, consuming the ground, consuming the water, consuming the animals on the planet, uh, all of whom we need, all of which we need for our survival, for our growth. Um, I'm going to close this show. Uh, I, I've done long enough. I think I put it on for an hour, but there's no point to it any longer. Uh, I just finished reading two books by uh, Margaret Atwood, who's a wonderful writer, uh, and uh, she has a, I, very clear from reading her work, she has the same outlook I have. Um, and two of the books that she has written, one came out in 2003. It's called Oryx and Crake, O-R-Y-X and C-R-A-K-E. Oryx and Crake are two characters. And the book takes place somewhere in the future, as which uh, uh, America and the world is dying of plagues, of uh, of uh, environmental degradation. And I read that in 2003, and I found it a very interesting book, but not as terrified as when I just reread it now, because I see uh, her vision as where we're going unless something dramatic happens, unless there's a call to order by those of us who see that there's a problem, rather than uh, those of us ranting into a telephone, uh, into uh, Internet space, uh, where nobody is around to hear or to call or to agree or even disagree. Uh, it's a powerful book. She now has come out with a book called The Year of the Flood, which is set in exactly the same time and ultimately with some of the same characters, but you see them through the eyes of a, of a different class of individuals. Oryx and Crake takes place with the people at the top in the corporations uh, that run things. Uh, the Year of the Flood takes place 
uh, much lower in the socioeconomic order. And ultimately, it all comes together. Uh, I think she could blend the two books together, uh, Margaret Atwood. But I recommend this, uh, not because it'll cheer you up. It won't. Um, but because I think uh, the dehumanization, the degradation of each other, uh, the kind of things going on in business uh, that it, it, it was supposed to have been stopped when Obama became president, um, all of these things uh, um, have an end. We can't continue to degrade the environment, uh, which we are. We can't continue to uh, wipe out 300 species a day uh, as human beings for our needs, which we're doing. Um, uh, I think we're in grave difficulty. Uh, I wish I could say something really optimistic. Uh, I don't feel particularly optimistic. And therefore, I'm going to hang up. I've done a half hour. Uh, whoever hears this, uh, you can email me. You can uh, send me a message. Um, in any event, I wish all of us good luck. Uh, I will come back on the air sometime in the future. I'll keep this line going. Um, but for now, I say goodbye, good luck, take care, and uh, this is Dr. Simon ending the story for now.